Well, this is lecture number nine in our series, God's Glorious Salvation. Um, we started this whole series talking about sovereignty, and if you got your notes in front of you this morning, I put uh, this quote from A.W. Pink. I love this guy. If you've never been exposed to him, I uh, find find stuff. There's all kinds of free resources um, that um, will will uh, uh, give you an exposure to this to this man. He he wrote this in his in his work, uh, The Sovereignty of God. To say God is sovereign is to declare that He is the Almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that none can defeat His counsels, thwart His purpose, or resist His will. He's in control of all things. Does that mean that he's in control even of evil? Absolutely. Does it mean that he is the author of evil? Absolutely not. What about with regard to our salvation? If God is sovereign, he is the one who calls men and women unto himself. He is the sovereign one. He is in control of everything. Does that mean that we are automatons, robots? No, not at all. How is that possible? Can we genuinely say that man has free will? All right, that's um, that's what we're going to explore this morning. We're going to um, do just a little bit of review about the nature of mankind. Let me let me. Uh, paint where we are in theological words. We're studying the doctrine of salvation, which is the doctrine of soteriology. Soter is the Greek word for savior, so we're talking about the doctrine of Jesus being our savior. Um, And in that, we are talking about um, uh, uh, anthropology, study of mankind and how uh, that dovetails with the doctrine of soteriology. Specifically, within the context of anthropology, we have been looking at the doctrine of hamartiology, um, the, uh, the Greek word um, uh, hamartia is a Greek, one, of the, one of the primary words for sin. So when we talk about hamartia, we're talking about the doctrine of sin Within the context of what is man, anthropology, we are sinners, and um, that, that, that's that's where we're going to we're, we're going to start our review about um, about how God works in salvation. What does man need to be saved from? Now I've passed out um, to 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 some of you some some uh, some verses of scripture, and as I read the reference if you'd go ahead and and um, uh, speak uh, speak that out um, so our microphone is able to pick you up uh, particularly you ladies if you would read loudly uh, who's got Romans 8 7 and 8 Marianne
The mind does not submit to God. Unsaved people cannot do so. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Who's got that? tells us that, that, that man is uh, spiritually dead. He's incapable of, of spiritual discernment. Who's got Titus chapter 1? Verse, okay. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Mm. Okay. We are unable to please God. All right. Who's got Ephesians 5? were formerly darkness. That characterizes who we were prior to God's work. All right. So the, the we, we, we are we are wicked to the core. We are unable to respond to the things of God. We were prior to the work of Christ darkness. That's what characterized us. All right. This is this is pretty uh, this is pretty grim. God's going to have to do some amazing things to get us out of this quagmire. Um, let's continue. Genesis chapter 6. Who's got that? Sean? Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. All of the thoughts, intentions of man's heart, his motivation, it's wicked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremiah 17, who's got that? Nobody. <laughs> Def- desperately wicked. Here, here's, what, here's what Mark 7 says, um, beginning of verse 21. From within, out of the heart of man, proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Um, our, our, our hearts are desperately wicked and reveal the fact that we need God to do an amazing work in order to rescue us out of this this uh, desperately uh, difficult situation. So, so uh, I mean, if these verses that we've just read are not adequate enough, uh, the Bible declares that man is not basically good. We want to think that we are, but the Bible says, no, we're not. The intense, the the, um, the, the motivations of our heart are only and always wicked continually. Does that mean that we cannot do anything good? Well, in the eyes of mankind, we can do lots of things that are good. But what we're interested in is what can we, can, are our actions 
before God, good in his sight? And the answer is no. Everything that we do is stained, tainted, polluted by sin, selfishness, wanting to put our name forward, pride. We are envious, covetous. That's who we are. So we, um, we, we, we need God to do something that we can't do for ourselves. Now, all of what we have talked about in this, in this um, subset of anthropology, looking at what is the nature of fallen mankind apart from God, um, we, we, are, we, are, um, 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 we are right to put the, the label... We, we are totally depraved, or, or uh, to put another uh, label on it, we, we are um, radically corrupt, or to put a, another label on it, we are morally unable to change our spiritual situation. Jeremiah chapter 13. And verse 23, read this way. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Well, then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. To the degree that the leopard is able to rearrange his spots, to the degree that the Ethiopian is able to change the color of his skin. To that same degree, we are able to do good who are accustomed to doing evil. All right. Um, so that's, that's, that's the background. That's our, that's our review of where, where mankind is apart from God. Now, when we... Now we're going we're to transition into uh, this topic of free will, which is which is within the uh, the scope of, of anthropology and um, what, what uh, how has sin affected mankind? When we think that we are basically good, we also can come to the errant opinion that I have unrestricted free will. Now I put in your notes uh, this, this, this label, libertarianism. And what I mean by that, there's a handful of definitions that, uh, and they may apply in different situations. Um, but what we mean by that in this context is unrestricted free will. Now, um, Arminians, uh, people that uh, are open theists, will adopt this particular position, which says that man, um, all men, have complete freedom to do anything. Now, within the context of, of being human, I, that is not to say that these people believe that 
you, you can, a person can fly, for example, right? We're, 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 we're talking about um, making moral choices. You have the option of doing that which is morally good. Equally, you have the option of doing that which is morally bad. Going back to our earlier Going back to that, uh, that, that chart, um, if we believe that man is morally neutral when he is born, as uh, Pelagians do, for example, well, you can, you can choose that which is morally good or that which is morally bad. You have, you have all options in front of you. Uh, the, the libertarian view in this context says that, that man is absolutely free to choose good and evil without restriction. Now, there's cer certain um, problems that go along with this particular view. Um, chief among them is that it limits God's sovereignty. Uh, there will be many that would, would rise up in protest at this point and say, well, no, 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 we, we affirm that God is sovereign. Well, God is sovereign, and until his sovereignty comes right up against me. At that point, I am the determiner of my will. I have unrestricted free will to do uh, that which is good, that which is bad. Uh, well, well um, it, it elevates man to uh, the place of a demigod, demigod uh, of... Uh, uh, more, more than man, but um, a little less than God. Uh, because I am the determiner of the future. Now, an open theist, um, are, you, are you familiar with, how many of you are familiar with that, that term? Uh, okay, well, uh, open theism says that uh, God is not omniscient, he cannot know the, the future because man is making choices and God does not know what choices those people are making. He can't because if he does, then he is treading on and restricting man's choices. And man has free will, unrestricted free will. So God cannot know the future because he doesn't know what man is going to do. Because man has, at any given time, he has an unlimited choice of what he can do morally. So the open theist will say, well, there's all kinds of problems with that. Um, it, uh, it, it violates uh, so many things in scripture, but the libertarian will come back and say, anything less than an unrestricted free will is for God to coerce man to make a particular choice. Well, 
I would argue that that is a, 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 a straw man and uh, is easily knocked down. That's not what the scriptures teach. I believe the scriptures teach a compatibilist point of view. And by that I'm, I mean uh, that man has a free will, but that free will is restricted. It is bound. It is bound by our nature, our sin nature. So I, I, have, I have choices that I can make, but as we read from the scriptures uh, earlier this morning, even the intentions behind my actions reveal that I am a sinner. And I'm going to do that which is beneficial to me, forget how it affects other people, or I'm not uh, interested. The, unre the un unrege unregenerate person is not interested in the glory of God. He or she is concerned about themselves. Okay? So, um, so the, the, the compatibilist position says that, that man has choices and, and there is freedom to make choices, but those, those choices are restricted. They're restricted by my nature. At the same time, this position affirms that God is sovereign and he is directing the choices, the affairs, everything that that takes place in, um, in, in the cosmos. And both are true. They are compatible, hence the, the, uh, the, this term, with regard to uh, the choices that man makes. Let me, let me give you a couple of, of, uh, of, of scriptures here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. When Adam creates, or rather, when God creates Adam, places him in the garden. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God gives him this command. Oh, beginning of verse 16. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you will surely well, we know experientially from the rest of the text that after, an ad, after Adam and Eve take a bite from the forbidden fruit, they don't physically die just uh, like that when, as God says in verse 17, that's going to happen. But they do spiritually. And there is a restriction that is placed upon them immediately. Um, it's, uh, it, it's as though they were um, committing spiritual suicide by eating of the forbidden fruit. They were spiritually dead at that point. And just as uh, we, we know in the, the real world, if a, if a person um, does take his or her own life, they do not have the capability 
of giving themselves life again. That's Adam and Eve's uh, situation. You remember from our our, uh, our conversation about original sin a couple of weeks back. Original sin doesn't refer to the original sin of Adam and Eve. It refers to that condition that results from Adam and Eve's sin, namely that all of Adam and Eve's posterity is adversely affected by Adam and Eve's choice. We looked at Romans chapter 5, um, where, uh, where, where Paul argues that all of us are in Adam, in air quotes. We suffer the same effects that Adam did. We are biologically alive, and so we make choices, but we are spiritually dead so that the choices that we make are of a restricted nature. They are, they are, uh, uh, those uh, choices are bound. Um, here's two, two verses of scripture for us to consider. Uh, John chapter 8. You want to turn there with me? Verse 34. John 8, 34. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, John 8, 34, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So the fallen person, apart from the grace of God, is enslaved in sin, and, and uh, the choices that I make, though, though I have free will, uh, that will is bound, it is restricted. And um, I, I, I do, I work, my activity is a reflection of my nature. Similar passage, or similar uh, statement in another passage, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19, reads this way. By what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. By what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. So if I am overcome by sin, I am enslaved to sin. He's saying the same thing that Jesus did in John 8. So, so, here's, so, so here, here's, the, here's the bottom line. We, we have God who is sovereign, in charge of all things. There is, there is not one rogue molecule in the entire cosmos that is outside of God's will and God's control. And at the same time, man makes choices. He's going to make choices um, that are free, but they are within the confines of his nature. And though there's tension in our minds trying to wrap our mind about how this can be, we have to go back with what does the scripture teach? Scripture teaches that man is dead, that man is enslaved to sin, and at the same time it also affirms that God is in control, perfectly in control. 
Scripture says, look in here at a, a couple of uh, scriptural examples. Scripture says that, that Pharaoh is the one who hardened his heart. Multiple times, early chapters of the book of Exodus, when Moses stands before Pharaoh and, and one plague comes after another plague after another plague, uh, Scripture says repeatedly, Pharaoh hardened his heart. It also says, almost with equal frequency, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Was, was Pharaoh free to harden his heart? Absolutely. Was God sovereign in that? Yes. Another example. Turn to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45. We're in that section toward the end of Genesis where uh, Joseph is betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. The, then he is traded by the Midianite traders to, to, to uh, an Egyptian household, to a man by the name of Potiphar. And uh, uh, Joseph ends up, through nothing he did, um, in uh, prison, spends the, the uh, years of his 20s in an Egyptian jail, and then by the uh, sovereign work of God, he finds himself <laughs> the number two man in the entire country of Egypt. Um, in, uh, in, in, in verse uh, uh, 4 of chapter 45 of the book of Genesis, Joseph is on the other side of his, his Egyptian prison imprisonment, and he deals with his brothers. He says in verse 4, come closer to me. He's, he's, he's talking with them. And he says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. So, so there, there is a, an acknowledgement here that Joseph's brothers made a choice, and they sold Joseph into slavery. That was a wicked thing. And his, his brothers are trembling in their boots because they realize the gravity of, of their choice. Verse 5. Now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, Joseph says to them, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there is still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here. Does that contradict verse 5 of, of, of or verse 4, rather, of this statement? No, they're they're compatible. They are concurrent acts. His brothers did something evil, and yet God is the one who is in charge. The brothers sold him into slavery and sent him to Egypt. God also sent him to Egypt. Um, 
So, so um, we, can, we can say that his brothers sent him to Egypt with evil intentions. But God sent Joseph to Egypt without evil intentions. God can ordain evil without evil intentions. The evil deeds of others accomplish his purposes. <laughs> That's hard to wrap your mind around. All right. I put some, uh, some explanatory comments in, uh, uh, in, in your notes. One by this gentleman, Scott Christensen. I, I highly recommend this book. I mentioned it in our question and answer time last week. Uh, what About Free Will? Title of the book, uh, colon, Reconciling Our Choices with God's Sovereignty. And Christensen uh, spends a good bit of time talking about the differences of these two points of view with regard to uh, the choices that man makes. He writes this. Biblical compatibilism seeks to demonstrate one simple reality. Every human action in the source of history has a dual explanation, one divine and one human. And he refers to um, Proverbs 16 at this point, verse 9. It reads this way. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The mind of man directs his way. We make choices. We have freedom in making those choices, albeit a restricted freedom within the, the, the nature of our, our being. Now, l let, me, let, me, let me pause here and say that, that the kinds of choices we can make changes when we are redeemed. Our ability to make choices that genuinely please God are now on the table. So, so the restriction of our freedoms is now expanded. So I, as, as, a, as, a, as a Christian, I can choose that which is evil and displeasing to the Lord. And I also have the opportunity, the privilege, and the nature now as a redeemed person to do that which genuinely pleases God. I may not make that choice, but I have that capability now because, because that heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh that actually functions as God intended. Christensen continues. God secretly stands behind them all, the plans of man, directing each set of footsteps along the specific course he designed. His guiding providence is like a transparent, colorless, odorless gas 
the fuel that fires up the burners of human action. Yet he does so without undermining human freedom and responsibility. We can affirm that God is sovereign without thereby impugning the choices of man and saying that man is but a mere robot. He is an automaton. He is coerced by God. No, nobody is talking about um, uh, God's sovereignty in that way, though that is a straw man that libertarians uh, um, uh, construct in order to, to uh, have something easy to knock down. Here's what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. God from eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass, yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second-class causes taken away, but rather established... God is sovereign, and man is able to make choices, and God's sovereignty doesn't violate our ability to make choices. He doesn't externally um, uh, force a choice upon us. We are not coerced to do this or to do that. Now, this is often part of, um, of the criticism laid at the feet of those who are um, uh, in the line of the Apostle Paul and, and Augustine and Calvin and Luther when we talk about um, God's grace being um, uh, irresistible. That's, that's, that's one of the statements of, uh, of, the, of the tulip um, that came as a result of men talking about, um, uh, about the, uh, the remonstrance of, uh, uh, of the uh, uh, Dutch Reformed Church. Um, the uh, the, uh, the I uh, refers to God's grace being irresistible. Um, another straw man here that is created, well, well God um, drags people, sometimes kicking and screaming, into the kingdom. No, that's not, that's not what that, that, uh, that, that doctrine teaches. It, it teaches that God's, God's goodness and his grace is so uh, uh, amazingly comprehensive that when he places that heart of flesh in our in, in our in our soul uh, that enables us to to respond to him it, it is it is it is it is like a, a, a magnet and and we are given freedom now that we never had before to see to understand to comprehend first uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 2 that we read earlier the the unspiritual mind isn't able to comprehend or understand of God, we, we can't as as unbelievers. 
understand what God has done. But now that that veil has been removed and we have that heart of flesh that's been given to us, now for the first time we can respond. And so we do. Um, here's another statement from, from uh, Christensen's books, uh, book. Sin constrains the will from choosing what is truly righteous. And yet many are unaware that such constraints exist because they freely choose to act in accordance with their sinful desires. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that happens to us all the time. We, we intend to do this, and at the very last second, we, we yeah, some, something goes wrong. Um, it, is that, does that surprise God? Or, or, or uh, is he not in control of things when that happens? No, he still is in control. He is still in control. Um, and we as humans uh, make mistakes and we stumble all the time. All the time. We, we, may, we, may, we may come to a, a particular decision with the best of intentions and motivations, um, but everything we do is still going to be marked by old sinful nature that that uh, dogs us. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, yeah, Kitty killed the clock, so I have no idea what time it really is. <clears throat> okay. I, I don't know if you popped the battery out or something, but it hasn't moved. <clears throat> um, <laughs> uh, we we uh, we we are quick to uh, to hear people say that the, that they have um, you know free will to do whatever they want, um, and we uh, we will often hear people say you know we, we they want to be the captain of their own soul, the captain of their own destiny, um, uh, and, and as 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 long as that person is unredeemed, they will they will think they have complete. Uh, unlimited choices to, to make, but but what what we find in Scripture is that that man's choices are are restricted, and we uh, we are in desperate need of a Savior to uh, pull us out of this this uh, quagmire. What's at stake in this discussion here is the glory of God truth of scripture, how we understand prayer, how we understand evangelism. Is God truly sovereign? It really goes back to where we started this whole discussion. All right, I am done here, and you may have other questions.